Good morning, FCS football fans, and welcome to the FCS Opening Drive Podcast presented by the Connecticut School of Broadcasting. I am David Hassig, and here with the czar of the playbook, Emery Hunt. How's it going, Emery? Going good, Dave, man. It's a great morning, great week of FCS. I think we're at the midway point now. We're more beyond the end. We're into week nine. That's we're crazy, We're man. at week nine. It's crunch time, man. This is, this, is, this is where every game really matters. I mean, we say that every week, and every coach says that every week, but now they actually do. Folks, it's crunch time, but you know where you have to get the info from. You've got to get it on Twitter. you got to follow us everywhere. At the FCS kickoff, at FCS opening drive. Follow my man Emery at F-ball, F-Ball Game Plan, all on Twitter. Go to iTunes, search Football Game Plan Podcast, subscribe, give us that five-star rating. YouTube, FCS kickoff, and all other Football Game Plan videos. Emery's always got some great stuff going up on the website. Where, where were you this past week, Emery? I was doing the broadcast for Georgetown Fordham. Great defensive battle. Uh, nice Pat crowd too and family weekend, so it was just a great experience. Exactly. I mean, you can, where else are you going to get this, folks? Where else are you going to get this kind of information in depth on the ground? You're only going to get it at Football Game Plan. And don't forget to go to footballgameplan.com slash FCS kickoff. Let's go down the week, Emery, because we had some crazy, crazy games that happened this week. Grambling over Alcorn, 41-14. This was a wild game. Grambling just all over Alcorn in this one. Delaware in two overtimes over Richmond, 42-35. The Blue Hens are back here. Monmouth, statement win, 56-39 over Liberty. Sacramento State, 34-27 over North Dakota. South Dakota State, 62-30 over Missouri State. And Maine with a close one over Albany, 12-10. But this was the week of the upset, and we had a whole bunch to talk about here. Let's get right into them, and let's start with Southern Utah, who we've talked about before on this program, and they had a tough test against number 8 Eastern Washington. We thought this could be a shootout. It was a whole lot worse than a shootout. Southern Utah, 46-28 over Eastern Washington. Is, is Southern Utah better than we think, or is Eastern Washington on a downtrend? Well, here's the thing. When, when Southern Utah doesn't turn the ball over, it seems as if they're pretty good. And Patrick Tyler, their quarterback, 22 of 33, 183 yards, so he was efficient. A lot of short passes, but most importantly, three touchdowns, only one interception. The last week they lost, we saw him throw three intercepts. Mm-hmm. Um, and throwing three intercepts, speaking of throwing three intercepts, Gage Gubru threw three picks, which is unheard of for him, yeah. uh, which is a big reason why they lost that game. They were up. 21 to 8 against Southern Utah. Then the picks start to happen, and those added possessions, you give someone a lot of swings at the tree, eventually they'll knock it down, and that's what the Thunderbirds did. Great job by them getting that upset win. And now they're sitting at 5 and 2, 3 and 1 yeah. in the conference. Yeah. So you have to look at them as probably an at large candidate in the Big Sky. Absolutely. And also, James uh, Falilla, I believe. Um, I'm sorry, James, if I mispronounced your last name there. <laughs> 27 carries, 143 yards, and two scores. Controlled the game on the ground as well late in the game once they got to the lead. So that's a big one for Southern Utah. Another upset, and this wouldn't have been an upset normally. This would normally be a pretty big game, and it still was, a ranked versus ranked. But Illinois State stunned South Dakota 37-21. South Dakota was number four, Illinois State number 24. And this just turned into the James Robinson show. Well, yeah, 193 yards and two touchdowns. Plus, again, we just talked about turnovers. They're they're huge in games like this. And normally Chris Strebler does a great job in protecting the football. He threw two intercepts, which, again, you give that team that added possession with a guy that's running the ball like that, they're going to chew up their clock. And also, Jay Cole, we talked about him uh, in last episode. The last two losses for Illinois State was due to the fact that he has thrown Six interceptions. Yep. Threw one last week, but threw two touchdowns, 12 of 19, 236. That's getting it done. So they got the great running game, great complement to the passing game, and it was just a complete team win for the Redbirds. Now they have seemed to have gotten off the mat by just this one big victory. And, and I still think South Dakota is a really good team, but you can't turn the ball over. No, and James Robinson, I, I, again, had a great game here, but this is a kid, he's only a sophomore. He's already looked at 5'10", 215. They got to be on the radar screen for some NFL teams, I would think. Well, they have a track record of having great backs. I mean, yeah. that's a program that really churns them out. And, you know, the last great back they had is up in Canada now. Um, and so when you look at their ability to get guys that – because they play a pro-style offense. They, they love to run outside stretch. Right. They run, run inside zone. And if you get in that lane, you can take off and uh, produce some big uh, numbers. 
uh, some big statistics. So shout out to the Redbirds, man. Their running game, their defense has always been stout. Coach Spack is always good with that mustache. It's become <laughs> it's become now he's the Joe Tiller, and it's not it's not a surprise that he is rest in peace, Joe Tiller. It's not a surprise that he's come from that tree right. of of coach for when he was at Purdue and uh, Brock Spack is bringing his style of offense and that mustache. To Illinois State, there's a there's a day I believe I think it was um, there was one of the games this week on the schedule this this year for them, it was the Broxback Mustache game or something like that. That's so, fantastic, outstanding, <laughs> outstanding. Talk about outstanding. We had an outstanding freshman performance. Norfolk State twenty eight twenty one over North Carolina Central. Jawan Carter, true freshman, eighteen of thirty two, two thirty and four touchdowns for the Spartans. What a win for Norfolk State. And that's a big win for their program because we know North Carolina Central is always battling A&T for that top spot in the MEAC. And so mm-hmm. this has been an interesting year in that conference, and, and I like what they're doing down there at, at Norfolk State. Now, this obviously is spring. I spent some time in that area talking with coaches. I spoke with Latrell Scott. I spoke with Fred Ferrier um, at Morgan State. Uh, I tried to get in to speak with Connor Maynard at, at Hampton. We couldn't coordinate our schedules, but I was also speaking with Jerry Mack at North Carolina Central. So I've seen a lot of these coaches over this, this past spring. And you could tell Norfolk State, last year they were good, uh, I thought individually, but it, it didn't show on the record. And talking to Coach Scott, he was telling me that, you know, we had a lot of guys injured. I also spent time uh, in January at Bethune-Cookman with, with Coach um, – with their head coach, oh man, it slips my mind now. But uh, I, that's what happens when you have so many names. You you're know, a busy man. You're I'm a busy, a busy man. man. It it, it's it's tough, man. I feel bad, but so I spent time with all those all those coaches on those programs. So I, I got a, a really good schooling on the MEAC. And, and Terry Sims is the coach at Bethune Cookman. Good save. Yeah, glad it, glad it came <laughs> up. But uh, you know, coach said they had a lot of injuries and they had some young guys that got some experience last year. And now that they're able to get, you know, go into an offseason as a starter, he wouldn't be surprised if they had a really good year. And right now they're sitting at, what, 3-4, and 3-1 yep. um, and one in conference. They're in the mix, too. They're in the mix. Uh, another upset, though, Northern Iowa. We mentioned them a couple weeks ago when we talked about flying the ointment teams. They were having a kind of an off year. This is a team that's normally a powerhouse in conference play. They're starting to show it again. They knock off Youngstown State 19-14. to Youngstown State was held in check, and I mean checkmate, 47 yards on the ground. You don't expect that for the Penguins, but you got to give the credit to Northern Iowa. Yeah, you have to give them credit. And, again, this is a football team that perennially is a top-tier FCS program. Yep. And Youngstown State, man, I don't know what's going on with them. The last couple of weeks, this hasn't looked like the team that we saw earlier in the year and also last season in the championship game week five i mean week five we were picking picking them for you know maybe even getting to the semifinals of the final exactly and so now it's they question if they even make it they fall they fall apart yeah. i don't know what's going on and granted this is a good team in northern iowa they they do a good job of of not i don't think i've ever seen a northern iowa team be terrible Right. You know, so that speaks to what they do. You have there. to beat them. You have to beat them because they rarely beat themselves. And, and when they get the ground game going, right now you see, what, 20 carries, 132 yards, and two touchdowns. So, Way Miller did his job. Yep. Nor- normally, Northern Iowa backs do their job. We see one now in the NFL that's doing his job. And David Johnson, uh, obviously, he's out for the season, virtually out for the season, but he's a Northern Iowa guy. They always have good, productive backs. And I think. As long as you have that foundation of being able to run the football and play good defense, you're going to be in a lot of ball games. Speaking of running the football, we had a great matchup, actually, uh, between Samford and Wofford. And we were talking about Wofford last week. We were talking about how if you win games close, you live and die by the close score. And they died by it this week. Samford gets the win, an upset win, um, for 24-21. Devlin Hodges with a great game. In the air for Samford, 37 of 54, 427, and three touchdowns. Heck of a game for him. But we have to recognize Samford. We listened to their fight song early on, and they were hearing it, hearing it a lot. They're number 14 in the country for a reason in the last poll. Kelvin McKnight, the receiver, 11 receptions, 170 yards, and a touchdown. That'll work. <laughs> you talk about a team that last year lost three of their top receivers, one including a guy that was in the NFL, was with the Cincinnati Bengals, in the preseason. So 
this is a really good football team that lost a lot of explosive talent. They still have one remaining in McKnight. And Hodges is the straw that stirs that drink yeah. as the quarterback, 427. And, again, if you're if you're an option team and you don't have the, the big play ability, and normally Wofford does, and, right. and the option offense is a big play offense. That's a big misconception about what they do. Exactly. This is why they're always competitive and they always win. Um, Coach Ayers does a great job with that Wofford program. But when you don't have the explosive talent within that offense, that's when things could get hectic, and that's what happened in this past week against Sanford. Exactly, and we were talking about Wofford again. Like They found a way to win games, which is a great quality to have, and I think Wofford will still have something to say in the postseason, and they will definitely get there. But if you have all your games and you play it close and you can't put people away, you get into trouble. And this is what happened with, with them this week with Sanford. One other upset that happened this week in the Pioneer League Campbell, who has been absolutely destroying everyone in the Patriot League this year, gets upended by Butler, 37-23. Campbell had held to 34 yards on the ground, and the Butler defense forces two fumbles and gets a pick. Good day to be a Bulldog. I mean, this was a shocking one to me. Yeah. Out of, you know, the Northern Iowa scores at Youngstown State, I, I, you know, you kind of could see that happening. You know, Northern Iowa is a good team. Campbell has been the talk of the season in the Pioneer League, and rightfully so. This is their last season. They're moving over to the Big South next year. I did not see Butler knocking off the Camels. No, no. Not at all. And also, let's give Butler credit. Yep. They knocked off Jacksonville last week yep. in an upset. And now they've knocked off Campbell. So you look at the Pioneer now, you have to include Butler in that conversation. Absolutely. And, but I, I cover Campbell obviously, and the rest of the Pioneer, Pioneer League in our FCS whip around. And you look at what they've done the last few weeks. I mean, 49-21 over Stetson, 38-0 over Moorhead State, 49-10 over Valparaiso. And then they, but last week they only got past Dayton 17-7. A little bit of a, it wasn't a red flag. I'd say it was a caution, a little cautionary tale there. It's a yellow flag. It's a yellow flag. <laughs> It was, a, it was a little loss of concentration, maybe. I, that's what I was thinking. You know, kind of a trap game. Butler is an underrated side in the Pioneer League this year. They're 3-2 and two in conference play. Whether, they not, or whether or not they make the playoffs is a, probably a long shot because you got Campbell, Drake, and San Diego ahead of them. Um, but this is a game that Campbell needed to win to stay up there with the, with the uh, Toreros. And it just didn't happen. And speaking of trap games, there were some other teams that almost got caught in the trap this week. Uh, Elon, North Carolina A&T, and Columbia all winning in very close games. Uh, which team do you think looked the most vulnerable of those three? Is there anyone that you kind of look at at this game and you're like, wait a minute, I thought you were a contender. What, what What's going on? Is, it, is, is there anybody for you in that group? Well, uh, you know, it's tough because I thought – you can explain away all the close games. Right. Let's, let's say, for instance, Elon at Rhode Island. Right. Rhode Island narrowly lost a game just like this against Central Michigan. Right. Uh, FBS program. So I can understand that. You know, Rhode Island also beat Harvard. I can understand Elon, you know, kind of going toe-to-toe with Rhode Island. So I can explain that one away. Right. A&T, I can explain that one away because – Bethune-Cookman is a really good team. I, like I said before, I had yeah. them as preseason number one in the MEAC. So I can understand. Plus, when you're A&T, you're going to be everyone's Super Bowl. Yeah, so you're gonna get, you got the target. You got, you got the, the target. target. You got the you, Everybody wants to beat the big dog on the block. Columbia, you can explain away because that was just a great game from two great teams. Yes. So yes. even though there were close calls, I think that they were all real good competitive games that feature really good teams. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you talk about... We talked about the A&T Bethune-Cookman game, especially the matchups of top offense versus top defense in almost every single category. Mm-hmm. But we talked about talked about it before in our games of intrigue. A&T, the number two rushing offense in the conference, against the worst rushing defense in Bethune-Cookman, and that's what the difference was in that game. Um, for Elon, though, I mean, obviously Rhode Island is a better team than people expect. I, I mean, everybody thinks Rhode Island. Wait, right. who? That that Rhode Island, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but no, definitely Elon. Uh, Elon got tested. They got another test coming this week, but they're proving us wrong. And then Columbia, I mean, story of the year. They clearly the story of the year. Undefeated, and they've got a massive game at the Yale Bowl 
this week. So it's out of the frying pan into the fryer. But they, I feel like they've had that all season long. Like you know they. Yeah, but you don't expect like <laughs> it was one thing when it was unexpected. Like they, they were they were not supposed to win any of these games, but now you've got Dartmouth and Yale back to back. Back away. to back, right? That's it, they've beaten Princeton, they've beaten Penn, they've beaten Dartmouth, and so yeah, this is I want I don't want to say this is their last test because watch they end up losing to Cornell or somebody like that. <laughs> some something weird, some weird loss that we're not seeing right now, but. Uh, this is just phenomenal what they're doing, man. Like, credit the coaches have Al Bagnoli and company are doing an outstanding job. Absolutely. Of, of coaching this ball club. A quick turnaround, too. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, let's get into, before we get back to the struggles of the Patriot League, we do have to shout out another player from the Ivy League who had a big day, Chad Kanoff, uh, who had himself a day for Princeton, 31 of 35, 421, two scores in the 52-17 win over Harvard. This kid has got a lot of class in his game. Yeah, and it was interesting because I was doing a high school football game at the time in uh, Harrisburg, PA. And what was funny was I'm checking the, the, the box score in between commercial breaks, and I see him, you know, 10 for 10, 15 for 15, 20 for 20. <laughs> I'm like, wait a minute, like, this guy is really on pace, and then I see the uh, the ESPN stats info tweet saying like you know the record for FCS was I think twenty nine in a row, um, but he didn't get it. Ugh. But I was like he was on pace to, to break that record. He was twenty for I think at one point was twenty two for twenty two uh, in that ball game. That's ridiculous. Yeah, that's unreal. That's unreal. And so he's playing great. And, and the, the reason why he's playing great ball is because normally. Uh, Princeton trots out two quarterbacks at the same time. Right. And the guy that was the player of the year last year, John Lovett, is out with a shoulder injury. So they have to go to him. They have to go to him completely full time. And so we're seeing a full complement of his game. And he's just doing it. And plus, they also have these two big 6'4 wide receivers that have tremendous passing catch radius. That'll help. That'll help as well. <laughs> and so he's balling them, man. So we got to give him his props. But that's another team that's a really good football team this year. Absolutely. You have to wonder if the system might change a little bit. Now that they're saying, hey, if we got one quarterback instead of two, look what we're able to do against Harvard. I mean, this might work. Well, you also look at – I mean, think about it. We talked about this a couple weeks ago uh, that Princeton out-recruited Rutgers for a four-star quarterback. Yeah. So, hey, Knopf's a senior (laughs) – they get a, a, a highly touted recruit coming into that program, and maybe this is to start us up new uh, with, with these Ivy League programs, you know. Absolutely. Well, we go from the highest of highs in the Ivy League, a really good story, to we got to go back to the Patriot League, and it's becoming a running joke, really. Um, and not in a, I mean, we're not trying to offend anybody here, but somebody take control of this conference. Let's look, I mean, last week, Holy Cross gets blasted by Colgate. Fordham gets past Georgetown in the game you were at 17-9, to and Bucknell beats Lafayette in overtime 13-7. to I mean, you could, the optimist will say, it's balanced. <laughs> I would say, hello, <laughs> anyone want to wake up and take this thing? Well, the only team in the conference right now that has a winning record is Bucknell. They're 4-3, and three, right? Right. And so the second place team by overall record is Colgate. The best team by conference record is Lehigh. I would say Colgate is the best team in that conference. I would agree. Because I think Colgate, winners of two straight, they're playing very good football. Their quarterback is, is starting to get into a groove. Defensively, they're going to be better. And they, to me, still have one of the best defenses, along with Bucknell, in the conference. And it's no surprise that those two teams that have the best defenses are the two teams that have 500 or better records. So that tells you a little bit of who's going to win. I think it will come down to Colgate or Bucknell. I think Colgate has what it takes to, to push through and, and win the Patriot League and get the automatic bid with a winning record. And that's the thing. Colgate plays Bucknell this weekend at home, so that's a big, big game. And Colgate did lose to Lehigh in a shootout. So, again, you talk about the two high-powered offenses in that division, in that conference. It's Lehigh and Colgate. Lehigh got the better of them. So Lafayette's still 2-1, though. <laughs> Somehow. Somehow. I, I, I don't know how. They, it, you brought this up too. This is interesting because they scored the least amount of points all season, 
yet they're two and one in conference play. Yes, it, it, it makes no it makes no sense to me. Lafayette is undefeated in conference play with twenty four points scored. <laughs> it's like <laughs> what is going on? This makes no sense anymore. What is happening? Um, but you know what? It's up for grabs, and I, I think Colgate is the class of that division. Bucknell. You know, they they only had 13 points. They got their first points in conference play last week. And they, and they beat Lafayette. So imagine if Bucknell loses to Lafayette, and Lafayette is 3-0 and in conference and 3-5 and overall. And Lafayette yeah. has had some close losses. Exactly. exactly. So maybe Lafayette is, is the fly in the ointment in the Patriot League. I wouldn't. It would not shock me. I mean, they've done it before. Again, folks, this is the FCS Opening Drive Podcast. David Hassing here with Emery Hunt. Presented by the Connecticut School of Broadcasting. Now let's get down, and we're into crunch time. We're into week nine now. We're getting into the last quarter of the season here, fourth quarter time. You know, this is when you have to step up, and we have to decide, and the committee has to decide, who is the real deal for getting into the postseason. We got some teams here that are really kind of flying under the radar. Some of them are having a disappointing year. Some of them are, are overachieving. But they're right there at that. They're above 500. They've got five or six wins. But are they really there? So let's go right through them here. And we're going to start with the Paladins of Furman, who, I mean, let's be honest, five and three record, pretty good year for them so far. They've got wins over Mercer, Colgate, and Chattanooga. They do have losses to Elon and Wofford, who are the top two teams in that conference. But they've got five straight wins. Furman, are they the real deal? Are they getting in? Based off what I saw last week, I think they are the real deal. Really? They beat Mercer. Mercer was a really good team. I've been high on Mercer for for a while. Uh, and Mercer has really good defense. And right. it was good to see Furman overcome the the stout defense and win that game. You talked about it. Five straight wins. They're 5-3 and three overall, 4-1 and one in conference. Now, they did lose to Wofford, you said, right? Um, right. So, that right there, they had that tiebreaker. They still have Western Carolina coming up. That's going to be a big game because that could push them into second place. They need, obviously, Wofford to lose one right. once again to try to get into first place. But I think they've put enough right now, if the season were to end today, to be, you know, last one in type deal. Yeah. Get in. I think Furman has a strong case for playoffs. And they've got some tough games, though, remaining. they got away games against Western Carolina and Samford. That's who they finished the year with. They have a home game with the Citadel. So also that's three hard games, yeah. They got a tough schedule coming in, so we'll be able to figure out if they're the real deal or not. Another team that's won five in a row, Central Connecticut State. The Blue Devils have kind of flown under the radar um, so far this season. They have losses to Fordham and Youngstown State, but they've got wins against Bryant, Wagner, and Penn. Um, Central Connecticut State, I think they couldn't have a shot at this. They can, but those losses will weigh heavily in the minds of the selection committee. You yes. you mentioned Fordham was a loss. Right. Not Eastern great. Washington was a loss. And Eastern Washington is probably going to be a playoff team. Youngstown. Youngstown. Young, you said Youngstown. Youngstown, Youngstown yeah. was a loss. Uh, so they're going to look at those. They have, you know, bad losses. Mm. Uh, but it's hard to ignore five straight wins, five and five and three overall. And when they play Duquesne, if they beat the Dukes, they're top of the conference anyway. Bingo. And they get in. So that's going to be their biggest game. They can't have a slip up. And they have to make sure they beat Duquesne. Well, that's the thing. They've got a trap game this week, and that's the dreaded word for any head coach is the trap game. They're home with St. Francis this week. And that's a team you can't sleep on. Exactly. That's not a trap game to me. That's a that's a play in game for the for the Northeast Conference because St. Francis is still a they're still in the thick of this whole They're two and one. Right. They're, they're, they're like, right don't forget there. about us. Exactly. They're now right they lost here. to Duquesne. They they lost bad to Duquesne. Uh, but Central Connecticut State has to. This is a prove prove me game. Yeah. You know, so a prove it game. I'm sorry. If they can beat St. Francis, yeah, you feel strongly about them moving forward because again, they have to beat St. Francis and Duquesne if they want to get in. And Central Connecticut, the best offense in the conference, but they're playing the two toughest defenses the next two weeks, and they still have Robert Morris as well on their schedule at the end. So don't don't sleep on that last game. <laughs> right. You never know. Um, Let's move on to the Blue Hens of Delaware, five and two. But you talk about you said bad losses for Central Connecticut. I mean, the two losses for Delaware this year are Virginia Tech and James Madison. I that's, mean, that's not bad losses. That's not bad at all. They've got wins over Richmond, William and Mary, and they've knocked off Stony Brook, who've been really surprising this year. They've been up. They've got three of their last four though on the road, so that's going to be an issue. 
is Delaware going to be able to get it done in the last four weeks? I think they will. I think this team is for real um, because they're big up front on both sides of the ball. Right. So they're controlling the line of scrimmage. What will be their Achilles heel is if teams stop them from running and force them to make plays, plays in the passing game. I don't think Delaware is there yet. Okay. So I think they can be an early out in the playoffs. I do believe they have enough to where they're going to get in. The, Delaware is a blue blood program. You know, and in right. the FCS, you kind of want to see them in the mixes. I think the FCS is good when Delaware is good. So, with the way Coach Rocco has done in his rookie season, turning his team around with the way they're playing in this conference this year, the way it's tough top to bottom. Yeah, yeah, I think they're for real. And he's done this before too. It's he not has. like it's not like wait, where did this coach from? Oh no, we know where Coach Rocco right. is coming from from within this conference too. Exactly. And and here's the thing with Delaware. The remaining schedule, it's not Murderer's Row. I mean, in this conference, there's no easy game, but you're away at Towson. That should be a winnable game. Away at Maine should be a winnable game. The last two weeks, though, they're home with Albany. You cannot sleep on the Great Dane defense, and then they're at Villanova. So the last two weeks are going to be the tough part of that schedule. I think they can probably get to 7-2. and two. It's how they finish those last two weeks. Yeah, I look at Villanova, Maine, and Albany. You kind of can sandwich those guys together as all the same team. Because mm-hmm. they, well, I guess you could sort of say that about the entire CAA. They, they seem to play the same style. Yeah. And to me, Maine and Albany are one and the same in what they do, as well as Villanova. You know, if you can win up front, right. you can win those games. That'll be great physical test for them. Let's move on to a team that's been disappointing this year. And we've mentioned them a couple times, Eastern Washington. Um, a team that's still a pretty good football team. Five and three. Um They've got wins against Montana State, Montana, and Sacramento State, who's another team that's been under the radar a bit, but losses to North Dakota State and now Southern Utah uh, this week. They've got tough games left. They've got Weber State left on their schedule. They've got an away game at North Dakota, uh, and they still have Portland State. But I don't know if Eastern Washington's making it. You know, it pains me to say that. I mean. And they're a blue blood program too, right? Yeah. And so. you meant that Southern Utah game, that loss was huge. Yes. Because now you can't afford a loss to Weber State. No. Which is a really good it's football team. It's a tough team. game. It's a tough, tough game. game. Now, granted, North Dakota is not what we thought they were going to be this year. No. You know, um, I thought they were going to be outstanding. They're normally near the top. And Portland State's winless. Winless. So, so you, that Weber State game will be huge. Now, granted, the playoff committee will probably look finally on – Eastern Washington and say, okay, well, you know, they're still Eastern Washington. They have, yeah, they're, exactly. They're over five hundred. Let's put them in. But what a big loss that was to the Thunderbirds, man. Because now you look at this conference that has Northern Arizona sitting at number one. Yeah, and Southern Utah's now at number three. It's crazy. It's a it's a weird and wacky world we live in, folks. I mean, I mean, you look back five years ago, Montana was the class of this division easily, and. They're middle of the pack, but they're, here's the thing: they're still three and one, and that's the other part of it. Because now Eastern Washington done put themselves in the mix with Montana, Sacramento State, Weber State, Southern Utah, Northern Arizona. It, all of those teams are not going to make it. You could make an argument for any one of those six teams, from Northern Arizona down to Montana, that they should be in the playoffs. So, if I was to ask you, three teams will make it out the Big Sky. Which three teams are you putting in? I'm taking Northern Arizona mm-hmm. because they've been impressive both sides of the ball. I'm taking Southern Utah just because they've been able to get the upset wins. They've been much more impressive than what we thought they They beat be. Weber State too, right? And I believe they beat Weber. So, you get okay, so Weber State's got the loss there. But if Weber State knocks off Eastern Washington, I'm putting them in ahead of EWU. What about Montana? Montana, see, I don't, I haven't seen enough of them. And Sacramento State, four and three record overall will hurt. I yeah, think. they'll be the last out the five, I believe, unless they can go on a run, which I mean, they've shown that they can do. Right. So the Big Sky is up for grabs. Eastern Washington, if they beat Weber, they're in. That right. for me. And as long as they don't do something completely out of the out of character for them in the last two weeks, they beat Weber, they're in. If they lose to Weber. They better hope they get some help because they're going to need a lot of help because it's not because of the Big Sky, it's because of what we've seen in other conferences in the Southland, well. especially Southland. The Big South may get two in, amazingly, uh, right? <laughs> so the old, I mean, you look at the Missouri Valley as always. So I'm, all I'm saying is they're very lucky that the Ivy League doesn't send teams to the playoffs or the MEAC or the MEAC. So it could be 
That could be their saving grace. Last team on here, and we've talked about them a lot this year, and it's been a great story. From winless to 5-3, and three, the governors of Austin P. They got a close loss to Cincinnati. They lost to Miami, Ohio. So they got two FBS losses. Mm-hmm. And they lost to Jacksonville State, who really is the power. I who think, is Jacksonville year. State? Yeah. They have wins against a dominated Moorhead State, beat UT Martin, beat Tennessee State. They got an interesting test, and it's an intriguing game. We'll talk about that in a bit, against a ranked FBS opponent. They got three FBS opponents on their schedule. They got UCF <laughs> next week. They still got but Tennessee Tech, Eastern Kentucky, and they finish with Eastern Illinois. Let, let's be honest here. Their in-conference wins are not going to be marquee wins. They're just not. What do they have to do to get into this postseason picture? I think they have to beat Eastern Illinois. Right. So I would say Austin P is for real. You know, you could chalk away, you could chalk up, chalk up one of those FBS losses as okay, that's just FBS team. But there was something about that Cincinnati game that still stuck with me to this day, because normally Austin P was the the sixty three nothing game. Yeah, they're going to roll over. They're exactly, you're going to blow them out. Warm easily. up, warm exactly, up game. warm up game. Your your fifth string uh, walk on. True freshman will get into to this game <laughs> against Austin P. So normally that was the case, but they since they had to fight for that win. Yeah, and um, and then Austin P. They beat UT Martin. They beat Tennessee State. Those teams on paper have more talent than them. Yes. So they've proven that they can win close, tough games, and they had Jacksonville State. You know, kind of uneasy for a minute. They yeah. were in that ball yeah. game. It wasn't a complete blowout um, or a complete dominance. And so I think, you know, if they can beat Eastern Illinois in route to winning the rest of those games, you mentioned Tennessee Tech and Eastern Kentucky. So let's say they are 6-4 and four after they – let's say if they lose to UCF, right? Yeah, and those two games in conference are on the road. On the road. So let's say they win those two games. They're 6-4 and four when they meet Eastern Illinois. Seven and four. Seven and four. Seven and four. They're five and three right now. Five and three. So it's seven and four. They beat Eastern Illinois and get to eight and four. I think they're in. I think that's the biggest game on their schedule. Absolutely. I mean, but again, you can't look ahead. You can't look ahead. You cannot look ahead. That's the game they will have to win. Exactly. Again, folks, this is the FCS Opening Drive Podcast presented by the Connecticut School of Broadcasting. And we're going to move now into, we're going to get off the field and onto the sideline here. Let's talk about some coaches that have made an impact this year, and not at the big programs. We know the coaches there are phenomenal. We know what they're going to do a year in and year out, but the underrated coaching staffs that do a tremendous job, and there's been quite a few this year, Austin P being one of them. What do you got on your list? you got quite a few. Yeah, you mentioned Austin P. Will Hilly has done a phenomenal job. We talk about Al Bagnoli, and that's evident because they're 6-0, and but Austin P is 5-3, and and that's a job where you – Let's say amongst coaches, you're like, why would you take the Austin P job? You know, <laughs> yeah. it, it, you, are they serious about winning? Uh, is that program going to be around? You know, but Will Healy has proven that this is a good football program, and he's recruiting in a state of Tennessee that's not known for top high school talent, but it's competitive. But it's competitive, and he's you know Tennessee has a lot of football programs that from the FBS all the way down to the NAIE level that you got to pull from, you got to compete against. Right. So. It's not like a, a school like Montana where you have Montana and Montana State and a few other, you know, NAIA programs that you're, you're pulling from. Right. Or like Minnesota where you have just the one FBS program and Division Two. You don't even have FCS programs to pull from. Um, so he has done a phenomenal job. I think that's very underrated for uh, a coaching job this year. So I, if you're talking about Coach of the Year candidates, we talked about this last episode, but Al Bagnoli and Will Healy, I think, are the two frontrunners. Absolutely, and I think there's some other, you know, there are other conferences that you don't necessarily look at, but you got to look at the Northeast Conference this year has had some very good coaching performance, especially at Duquesne and Central Connecticut State. Uh, Coach Schmidt at Duquesne has led an incredible team defensively, one of the best teams, if not in the country, definitely in the Northeast region as a whole. I mean, they've only allowed 21 points in conference. He's done an incredible job. Uh, Coach Russell Mondo at Central Connecticut State, they've both been excellent. It's going to come down to those two for at least conference coach of the year. It could be for the conference title game, too. I mean, you talk about Duquesne and Coach Schmidt and what he's done. Losing all that talent they lost, they lost his top quarterback. They lost their top receivers, plural. They lost a really good linebacker in in Christian Kuntz. Um, 
he was one of the premier defensive players in the FCS. They lose him. Uh, and they didn't return a lot of key players this season. But they do have the running back, A.G. Hines. They return him. Um, they got a really good quarterback transfer in Tommy Stewart. And their defense is still good. One of the best, like you mentioned, especially within conference. So to be able to, to take a new, a completely new roster and have them undefeated in conference, 6-1 and one on the year, yeah. with some pretty big, impressive wins on that schedule, I think that's a very good underrated coaching job. Absolutely. And one or two more that we want to talk about here, and they come out of the MEAC. And again, a conference that doesn't get the recognition, doesn't get the coverage because they're not in the playoffs every single year. But the coaching job that's been done at especially Hampton and North Carolina Central has been very, very impressive. Yeah, Coach Jerry Mack of North Carolina Central, I've spoken with him over the spring, and this is a guy that just he's a football lifer, man. He eats, sleeps, and breathes it. You know know the feeling. I know the feeling, feeling. and we're the same age, so he's a young coach. He's 36, and uh, he has his program competing at a high level every year. And the fact that they lost their record-breaking quarterback, Malcolm Bell, um, having to break in a new quarterback, and they were in a celebration bowl last year, and they're still in the mix for this season. So he's done a great job. Connell Maynard, I think, has done the best job in the MEAC because Hampton was normally a team that's going to hover around, you know, five and six record, four and seven, but competitive, but not really having a winning yeah. record. Um, this year, they're in the mix for the conference championship, and they don't play A and T. So right. they have a, a you know unique situation. Do they get high enough in the FCS polls to where they can get an at-large bid? Um, that'll be the question. I don't know if they have the out of – if they would have beaten Monmouth, then I think they would have had enough to where they can say, okay, we can put Hampton in the playoffs if right. they continue to run the table. But Latrell Scott also at Norfolk State, who just beat North Carolina Central. And right. you talk about a program that's, that's – I don't want to say sleeping giant, but that's a, that's a stable program, Norfolk State – in a good area of high school football, in that Tidewater, uh, Newport News area, that Hampton Roads area in Virginia. Right. You, get a, you got the Michael Vicks, the Allen Iverson, all those guys, the Aaron Brooks. Um, all those cats came out that area. And so he's getting a lot of good talent. And he is a guy that has coached at multiple spots and has done a great job everywhere. And his coaching prowess is shown itself. He was at Richmond, too, and had Richmond in the playoffs. So. Right. He also is a really good coach, and they got some – that's why the MEAC standings look like they look. I mean, we talk about Fred Ferry and the job he's done at Morgan State. Um, talk about Terry Sims at Bethune-Cookman. Talk about Mike London at Howard. This may be the, the good coaching, you know, conference top to bottom. Buddy Pugh, the longtime head coach at South Carolina State, and also what we always talk about every episode – Rob Broadway at A&T. So, right. you know, and, and credit Eric Reborn, who, who's going to take his team down to Division Two at Savannah State, but they have a lot of young talent on their squad. Absolutely. Folks, we're going to take a quick break right here on the FCS Opening Drive podcast. We've got our annual games of intrigue for Week 9 coming up. we got a whole bunch of winless teams still. Who Somebody's got to get a win here. Um, and we've got some really, really important games coming up this week. Big games in the Southland that we're going to talk about. We got the Magic City Classic coming up in the SWAC. Always an entertaining game. Always a big game down in Alabama. We'll be, all, we'll talk about all that. We got a whole bunch of stuff to talk about. We'll be right back. Thinking about changing careers? Well, now's the perfect time to check out Connecticut School of Broadcasting. We have nearby campuses in Stratford, Connecticut, Westbury, Long Island, and Hasbrook Heights, New Jersey. Almost everything you hear on the radio, everything you see on television and on the internet was made by a creative team of audio and video professionals. Producers, camera operators, sound designers, these are the people who work behind the scenes to make it happen. Connecticut School of Broadcasting can help you switch from your current career path to the more exciting world of audio and video production. We've placed thousands since 1965. Visit GoCSB.com, call 1-800-TV-RADIO, and come in for a studio tour. It's your chance to test drive the same equipment that's used in real radio and television studios, talk to the instructors, and meet other people who share your excitement about the radio and television industry. Listen, if you're ready for a career change, if you like the idea of working behind the scenes, come in and see what a career in broadcasting is like and see if it's right for you. Connecticut School of Broadcasting has nearby campuses in Stratford, Connecticut, Westbury, Long Island, and Hasbrook Heights, New Jersey. Call 1-800-TV-RADIO or visit GoCSB.com. Again, folks, this is the FCS Opening Drive Podcast right here, presented by the Connecticut School of Broadcasting. 
David Hastegan here with Emery Hunt, breaking down everything FCS. And we got a whole bunch to talk about. We got some very intriguing matchups this week, Emery. Our annual games of intrigue. And we start with the game we mentioned just before the break, Austin P taking on number 18, Central Florida. Central Florida is undefeated. They're 6-0. They've had an impressive season. But will they be looking past the governors to better things? I doubt it because <laughs> here's why. On paper, just by name, Austin P, UCF, you think, okay, we could have a potential upset situation here. But Scott Frost is probably going to win Coach of the Year in the FBS for the job he has done in, with, with that program. And you have Central Florida undefeated. You have South Florida with a new head coach as well, Charlie Strong, undefeated. Central Florida can't afford a, an upset Absolutely. or a bad look. They're trying to get into that group of six bowl games, maybe like a Fiesta Bowl or something like that, um, or a Cotton Bowl, wherever, whichever that fifth and sixth game is. Um, they can't afford an upset. It's intriguing because we've made the case about how good Austin P is because of what they did against Cincinnati. Mm-hmm. This is a different animal. We'll learn a lot about their competitiveness. Now, will this look like the Cincinnati game or will it look like the Miami of Ohio game? Right. So hopefully it's somewhere in the middle to where it's competitive, but you kind of want it to be competitive. But you also, if you are, are an FBS fan, you want Central Florida to take care of business because you want to set up the showdown you know, on I-40 between yep. uh, Central Florida and South Florida. So, Abs- yep, absolutely. And we got a, another intriguing game. I-4, I'm sorry. The war on I-4. The war on I-4. Uh, one of the underrated rivalries, absolutely. Um, Missouri Valley Conference has another intriguing game, and it's North Dakota State. Again, the Bison taking on Northern Iowa. And we talked about UNI. They are on two straight wins against South Dakota State and Youngstown. And North Dakota State has not exactly been blowing people away in conference play. This is going to be a fun one to watch. Yeah, it really is because this is another one of those teams that always gives North Dakota State trouble. Yes. So it's going to be competitive. We just saw them beat Youngstown State. We saw the powerhouse North Dakota State is. They, you know, when we were ready to call Indiana State a game of intrigue, they shut them out 52 nothing. Right. So this is another game of intrigue, but this is one that is usually competitive. And we'll, we'll see what Northern Iowa team shows up. It seems as if they've found the right formula to win. Uh, on defense, which is key. you got to get stops early against North Dakota State because if you don't and allow them to control the tempo and the pace, they're going to run you out the stadium. And so it's intriguing because of the matchup, and it's also intriguing because of where Northern Iowa is at this point, point of the season. Absolutely. Let's move to the big sky, and this is one that's going to be interesting to watch. You talked about Northern Arizona. They're top of the big sky. I don't think even they expected to be at this high up. Undefeated. Undefeated in conference play. They got Sacramento State this week, and we talked about them being possibly a fly in the ointment. They've been interesting. Sacramento State's got two wins. They also got they got wins over Southern Utah, also beat Youngstown. So, Sacramento State, maybe? Yeah. Are they looking past them? Yeah. I think this is maybe a, this is why it's intrigue, right? Because this is more than intrigue. I this, think this, this is, is a big game, right? <laughs> this is this is a play-in game for Sacramento State because we talked about if we had to pick the five. Who would you put who, – who would be on the outside looking in? And we both agree that Sacramento State may be, because of their record, the last team that we would say, okay, yeah, put them in. So them getting this win now makes it really tough to decide which team do you take out. So I think the Hornets will be up for this ball game. The Lumberjacks cannot fall asleep against the Hornets in this game. And the Lumberjacks have won five in a row. So you, you know they're riding high, but again – you ride high a little bit too high, you're going to fall off, and that's not going to be good Eastern Washington was riding high, right? Exactly. And Southern Utah came in there and, and, and beat the brakes off of them. You, you cannot know? sleep in the big sky. Don't let the, alti- don't let the altitude get to you. <laughs> One other game to talk about here, and we talked about Elon again. Tough, tough game at Villanova, who have been at an up-and-down year, but you know what Villanova brings to the table, and Elon better be ready for it. Intrigue is the game. Intrigue. Intrigue. Here's why. <laughs> Because the line of scrimmage play is something that's critical in the in the CAA. If you can't control that or win there, you're not going to win the game. Elon has done a fantastic job running the football and also creating pressure. So they're playing well on both sides of the ball. Villanova has been 
sketchy because of the loss of their quarterback. Um, they've had a lot of big injuries to big-time playmakers. However, this is still Villanova. This is still a team that is built along the line of scrimmage. This is still a team with the new head coach, quote-unquote, that's been there 30 years, who has made his hay by being the defensive line coach uh, for the Wildcats and was groomed by Andy Talley. So this is a guy that knows what he's doing. And I believe this game could be closer than a lot of people think. This will, I'm not going to call it an upset, but intrigue. This will be the real test for Elon against a, a program that is has their identity chiseled into them on the field. Mm-hmm. They know what they have to do. They know their jobs. Elon, again, do they have their heads in the clouds a little bit after what they've done this year? As, but I think they got a wake-up call against Rhode Island last week, so I think they'll be ready for this. This is going to be a fun one. I think this is going to be a fun one to watch, but I, I agree. I think Elon just sneaks this one out, but they have to be disciplined. They have to make a statement in this game, too. Absolutely, yeah. It, it, I mean, I think they're getting into the playoffs if they run the table, mm-hmm. no doubt, but... This determines whether or not they open up at home or on the road. Yeah, absolutely. Let's talk about the winless teams. We still got, amazingly, <laughs> eight winless teams in FCS. Delaware State finally got off the mat last week. I mean, come on, people. Like You still have Indiana State without a win. You still got Cal Poly without a win. What is going on here in this season? Like it, it, It's the haves and half-nots. Yeah, it's been weird, man. Normally you have maybe one team right now that is still winless which is usually austin p or middle to the, or middle middle valley uh mississippi valley state it's a, it's a long name it's, it's a long name it's fine <laughs> you know the delta devils are usually the one that's that's winless uh but this year like you said eight and i don't i don't know what's going on man and if i'm looking at the schedule you have jackson state plays mississippi valley state that's a winnable game that's a winnable game but valley is two and five and Valley has obviously beat uh, you know uh, Lynchburg last week. Um, that really doesn't count, but they won that game. <laughs> it you know, counts where it matters. It counts where it matters, right? And so Jackson State has that chance to to really win that game. But I don't know, man, because now you again Valley has confidence now. So you that one is sketchy. Uh, Texas Southern plays Grambling. That's not going to be a good look for Texas Southern. No, that's going to be over by halftime. I think. <laughs> right? Unfortunately for. For Texas Southern, Grambling is is the class right now. That, that's no way. Now in the big now here's here's where it gets interesting. Portland State hosts North Dakota. There's an opportunity for the Vikings. You like that matchup? I like the matchup. Here's why. Because North Dakota seems to be suffering a ton of injuries. They're not the same. Portland State has to get a win somehow, somewhere. That could be a game that they could win. Cal Poly plays UC Davis. They're not beating UC Davis. But don't ever sleep on a rivalry game. I, that's the only thing I will say there. That's I agree. True. I agree. I think UC Davis probably rolls in this game. But in a rivalry game, you cannot overstate it. The one game I'm looking at, though, is Indiana State. We've been talking about them <laughs> week after week. This is going to be the week they break out. Oh, no, they lost to Southern Illinois. But, no, it's going to be this one. No. Okay, fine. But they got Missouri State coming in, who's really had a struggling year. They're 1-6. They're coming off a big loss to South Dakota State. Is this the week for the Sycamores? I would have lost a lot of money putting my chips all in on <laughs> on Missouri State uh, after what I saw. Remember, in the I think it was week one, they were going toe to toe with Missouri. Yeah, and so I think it was like it looked like a basketball score. Yeah, and so that following week, I'm like, yeah, oh well, Missouri State's offense, they're going to win this game, and they hadn't. They lost. They got blown out. So you're right. This is a game where Indiana State can find their first win. However, I'm still I, I still have a few shekels in on Missouri State in that offense. I'm still buying their offense. I think they can outscore Indiana State. Indiana State will work hard for this okay. loss. All right, that's <laughs> a terrible way to put it. Man. It's, it's going to be one of them tough losses, man. I, and that's brutal. It's, it's brutal, <laughs> but it's true. I just don't see it. Uh, so, who Tennessee State has this week? Uh, Tennessee State. Uh, Tennessee Tech, you mean? Tennessee has Tech ten- has Tennessee State. Um, they they're not going to win that game. Four and three, one and three. VMI VMI's got the Citadel. Eh. The way the Citadels played this year, they've been up and down. But again, rivalry game. Maybe that means more. But Citadel's at home. But so. see, here's the thing. I would have went with VMI if this was last year's VMI team. 
But if this was last year's Citadel team, they blow out VMI because Citadel's last year team was fifth in the country. So right. this is a tough matchup for for VMI. And I would have taken Savannah State possibly, but after what Norfolk State did last week, I just I can't see that. I I can see maybe one, maybe two teams getting off the mat this week. It's 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 a bizarre season for it really for the is. Winless. Man. Speaking of bizarre, I mean we're talking about um, the FCS programs and how teams are shifting around. We had Coastal Carolina move up last year. And next year we have Idaho, the Vandals, moving back down. They're going back down to FCS. What other teams do you think could or should, let's put it that way, should move down from the FBS to the FCS level? Well, I don't, I don't think any team should move down. I will say this. I, I think there's room for growth in the FCS. Right. We, talk, we just talked about a big rivalry in California, right? Cal Poly, UC Davis. I feel like that's the only two teams out west in California. Right. Yeah. You know, and so let's take a let's take for instance the Pioneer League. San Diego. San Diego. Non scholarship football in the FCS. Only school in California, right? They're the only West Coast team in the Pioneer League. It's yeah. basically a Midwest to East uh you know, league. Yeah. So let's say for instance, San Diego is looking to, to trim costs as far as travel is concerned. I done created a whole California non-scholarship league of Division One programs that can start football. Some had some football programs before. Like, I remember Pacific. They right. had a football program. They were FBS. Right. And then they dropped football in 95. Um, they can come back and have an FCS non-scholarship program. They already have, they have San Diego out there. You know, they're Northern California Pacific. But right. you got San Diego out there. Okay, cool. So now you got two. Santa Clara, okay, home yeah. of Brent Jones. They had they had a football program. They were D one as well or Division two. They can come back non scholarship. Um, San Francisco University, of San Francisco, the Dons. They have a, a unique football history. The nineteen fifty team with Ollie Matson. Um, kind of a weird football history at San Francisco because they dropped it after because that <laughs> team was undefeated. Yeah, and they didn't go to the bowl game because they had the the uh, I think it was the Orange Bowl. They wanted San Francisco to leave behind their black players ah. because of the integrated South. And so you have a team that had Gino Marchetti, Ali Madsen, and Bill Willis. No, I'm not leaving Ali Madsen and Bill Willis behind. <laughs> <laughs> that's the, that's the yeah. team. And so you had three NFL Hall of Famers there. Um, so I would say San Francisco can restart. Uh, so we have San Francisco, Pacific, Santa Clara, Cal State Fullerton, Dropped football in 93, I believe. Um, the kid that played out here at cornerback for the Giants, uh, I think uh, Mark Collins was yeah. a cornerback from Cal State Fullerton. Um, so they had a rich f- football history. Long Beach State was another one that dropped football. That's how right. we got Terrell Davis. Right. You yeah. know, in 91. So, so you're thinking more of expanding the FCS. Expanding. Cal State Northridge was another recent one that dropped football, I think, in like 2003. There was a whole bunch of California programs exactly. that just dropped off the face of the earth. Just dropped the programs because of financial concerns. But now if you can come back at non-scholarship and create a division by yourself, uh, you know, a conference by yourself, you got what? San Diego, San Francisco, Santa Clara, Pacific, Cal State Fullerton, Long Beach State, Northridge. All in the same state. Done. Non-scholarship. I just solved some problems and also created some opportunities for some football players in California. You should get into politics solving problems like that. It's, exactly. It's, it's so simple. It's common sense, right? <laughs> well, you would think common sense would work, but I don't know anymore. Common sense is not so common. We should stop calling it common sense. Right. It should be enhanced. <laughs> <laughs> Let's move on. Let's move to, to week nine. And uh, we got some really interesting games coming up, though, this, this weekend. We're going to start in the CAA, and this is an intriguing matchup. William & Mary at Maine. Interesting matchup with this one. Here's why. Um, because William & Mary, you, I, I always, and I, I, I had this problem where I look at certain teams through the through a historic lens. Yeah. You know, whether it's FBS or FCS, you look at William & Mary just like how you look at a team like Virginia Tech or, you know, or Virginia or some team that you, like Georgia. Yeah. You, Sands this year. You know, you just see the name, you know, okay, I expect them to play this way. I expect Georgia to have a good running back. Yeah. Just based off their history, yeah. right? I expect William and Mary to be good up front on both sides of the ball. I expect them to be able to run the football. I expect them to play really good defense. That hasn't been the case this year. Maine has had up and down issues at quarterback, but they are built like William and Mary 
has been built over the course of their career. And Coach, Coach Harasmiak has done a really good job at Maine. So this is a game that you can definitely make a case that William & Mary can win. I just don't know if they will against Maine. I think Maine can win that one. Let's move to the Patriot League. Oh, the Patriot League. Lehigh. Lehigh at Fordham this week. Now, Fordham, we expected to have a pretty good year. They've had a really surprisingly bad year um, at 2-6. and six. But they can still win the conference. They're 1-2. and two. And Lehigh is 2-0 and oh, despite having a 2-5 and five record. Is this a toss-up for it, you? Yeah, it is because you have Lehigh's offense, which is phenomenal. But you also have Lehigh's defense, which is anti-phenomenal. Right? Right. So having just watched Fordham, I think Fordham's defense is good. Matter of fact, I think their corners are good. They have a really good corner that's a junior, man. He looked impressive. Uh, pro prospect type of guy. I have his name right here in my doggone notes. You could tell I was on the road this weekend because I didn't even <laughs> unpack my notes from. He's pulling out a toothbrush, uh, folks. Right. He's got, he's I got, got everything coming from this weekend. He's got an extra T-shirt in there. <laughs> um, uh, it, it, this, is, this is like clowns getting, <laughs> clowns getting out of the small car at the circus. Dylan Maben, the cornerback, 6'1", 183. And it was weird because Georgetown wanted to go to their big receiver, uh, Justin Harrell all game long, but they had this long corner. You thought you thought he was a six four corner, and so he's able to. And we know with their receivers on the outside, you're going to have to match up one on one against those guys. So I like the matchup here for Fordham. I just don't know if Fordham has enough offense to really threaten Lehigh. So it is a toss up. It is a toss up. Miak game, Delaware State. They got their first win last week. They're at NC Central trap game for NC Central. It could be. Because you don't know what confidence Delaware State's coming in. But you also don't know how pissed off Central is after losing. Because, you know, they are, eyeing, they are always eyeing that last game of the season against A&T. Because right. that's usually the play-in game for either the playoffs or the Celebration Bowl. They have a loss. They, they let one get away. I feel bad for Delaware State in this ballgame. Right. I think it could be a massacre. Really? Yes. See, I, I, I'm giving the Hornets a chance in this one. I mean, you get your first win, that's got to pump you up a bit. It has to. And you, and you, I like Coach Kenny Carter, man. And and he is, he's one of the more underrated coaches in the MEAC, too, because he has done a good job in building this program. And it, it, historically, Delaware State hasn't had success. But early on, I mean, you have John Taylor. You know who John Taylor is. You know, played opposite of Jerry Rice. You know, big time receiver. Rodney Gunther is the one of the more talented defensive linemen for the Arizona Cardinals right now. Came from Delaware State, so there's talent there. Uh, I just don't. This is going to be a ticked off, well prepared Eagles bunch. It, and they're going into Central. Yep. If this one is close, I'll be. That, that's a win for me. Okay. All right. That's so closer than the experts think. Maybe. 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 Or, or it's over by halftime. It's one of the two. Intrigue. OVC. UT Martin hosting Eastern Illinois. We've talked about Eastern Illinois a little bit. Have they really been what their record says they are? This could be upset alert on the road. This could be upset alert. This this has moved past game of intrigue, right? To, to not upset red, alert. Red alert. Red alert. Because <laughs> we were, we 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 feel about we feel the same about Eastern Illinois how we felt about Wofford. Right. We felt like they were flirting with the loss. Good, but you're like. Yes, yo, know, I don't know, man. Yo, know, I don't know. I'll let you slide this week, but I'm not. I don't know about next week. This is one of those games, but it's tough to buy into UT Martin because of what we saw against Austin P. Right? They lost seven nothing. I, I, I mean, there's no more analysis to that. This <laughs> one was, team scored a touchdown. One team scored a touchdown. Where's your offense? <laughs> this is an offense that had success last year. Returned their starting quarterback. Has some good pieces on on offense. I love their defense. I think their defense gives them a chance in this game, though. Absolutely. Let's move to one of the marquee games uh, in the SWAC, which is coming up, the Magic City Classic, Alabama A&M against Alabama State. And we've already we've talked about Alabama State and the turmoil that they've had. They've had a coaching change. They've looked better since the coaching change. Which Funny is how that works, thing. right? They it's, won. Yeah, exactly. A&M leads this. This is a great, folks, if you don't know about this game, it's one of the best rivalries at the FCF level, if not college football, period. A&M leads this series 40-37-3. This is very, very close. AM won last year 42-41 in a barn burner. Throw the records out the window with this game. This is all about pride. This is all about pride. This is all about the pageantry. Um, Ludacris was performed at half 
time of that game. Now you last know it's year. a party. You know it's a party when Ludacris <laughs> shows up. Um, so yes, throw everything out the window. And it's funny how a team wins after a coaching gets let, a coaching firing, right? Yeah. So does that mean Alabama State has now rebounded and, and has realized their talent and will come out firing? Or can Alabama State, or sorry, Alabama A and M, make some headway in that division now against a team in Alcorn that just lost to Grambling? Right. They could find themselves playing Grambling in the SWAC championship game, but they got to win games like this. Yeah. You know, and you, you mentioned last year's bomb burner; it was a great game. But A and M really has to come out and dominate. Otherwise, it's going to be Alcorn and Grambling once again for the SWAC championship game. Absolutely. And then let's talk about some two huge games. We've talked about the strength of the Southland Conference this year. Has been kind of a surprise to a lot of people how good this conference is top to bottom. We're going to find out how good it really is this week. we got two games. you got McNeese State 6-1, 4-1 in the conference at Central Arkansas, who's at 6-1, 5-0. They're the only undefeated team left in the conference. Then you have Sam Houston at 6-1, 4-1 in the conference at Southeast Louisiana, who's at 5-3, but they're 5-1 in conference play. This isn't. This is going to be an absolute great weekend for the Southland. It's a Southland Invitational, right? You know, <laughs> you who gotta, wants it? Who wants it more? And I hate to say this is like playoff elimination because I think all four of these teams could get in easily. One, easily, and the one team that may have the shakiest of cases out of the four is probably Southeastern Louisiana because they have more losses. Right. So they have to win against Sam Houston State. But if they do, but if you, they, and, and you think that they could, they could win. Because I, something about this Bearcat football team, I'm just not there yet with them. They look different this year. I know uh, the offensive coordinator, Phil Longo, is now the offensive coordinator at Ole Miss. And so, but they still have Briscoe, but Briscoe has turned the ball over a lot this year. Yeah. You know, something he didn't do last season, and they just don't look right. So I think this game is prime for the Lions to take it. Now, the McNeese State Central Arkansas game, massive. This, this is a massive game for both teams. Because this could determine the top of the conference. So I think it it won't hurt who loses this game because they'll both still have enough quality wins to get into the playoffs. Right. But my goodness, this is a big game. It's going to be huge. And you know who's looking on the sideline hoping that there's chaos is Nichols. Right. they're still 4-1 and one and 5-2 and two overall. They're sitting on the side like, excellent. They're rooting yes. for Central Arkansas because they beat McNeese. Yes, and they're and they're hoping that southeastern Louisiana gets blown out of the water so they can just move right on right. by. Um, and we got two other games that I'm just going to key on here real quick before we wrap things up. South Dakota State at Western Illinois in the Missouri Valley Football Conference this is going to be a tremendous matchup. Both teams five and two could be playoff playoff implications on the line for both of them. And then in the Big Sky, Montana travels to Weber. That is that's going. A to, that's a tasty game. That's yeah, a tasty that's game a for me. Where are you going to be this week, Emery? I mean, I know, like, as I said, you're unpacking your suitcase over here on the side <laughs> of the studio. Where are you going to be this week? I mean, you're not even going to get out of the suitcase. You're no, going to no, just no. go right, right back, back in your car. I will be the broadcaster on the Morgan State FAMU game. Ooh. So I get to see some MEAC football again in another team. Uh, a bit of intrigue in FAMU. The uh, Rattlers. The Rattlers. Uh, really historic program. Uh, I can't wait to see that because, you know, we get a lot of notes from these programs when we do these games. So... Just the, the amount of history, uh, the Willie Gallimores, the you know the Jake Gaither, the coach, uh, you you have Bob Hayes, you know the outstanding Dallas Cowboys wide receiver, all went to FAMU, you know, and so all of that history, all of that tradition. Earl Holmes, the linebacker for the Pittsburgh Steelers. So I'm interested to see how this game plays out. I thought Morgan had a chance to knock off Howard last week because of their offense getting right, but Turns out it was just because they played Savannah State. So <laughs> we'll see what team shows up against wow. the Florida A&M Rattlers. I love what both programs are doing. I want to see both guys do well. I want to see an entertaining game. That's what I'm hoping to see. And the Rattlers still one of the best uniforms in college. Still. Oh, man. That that new uh, is smoke, like a dark smoke. Yeah. It complements their orange and green real well. It's a clean look. The orange and green is just fantastic. It's fantastic. And as I do every week, folks, I know you're probably sick of talking – who is this D3 program? That you got? No, you got to keep talking about it. Because we're 8-0, baby. <laughs> Springfield <laughs> College, 8-0. We knocked off Catholic this week, 68-20. And there's actually something to, to be interested in this game. 14 different running backs for Springfield combined for 600. 
625 yards on the ground. That's a lot for us. We run the triple option. We don't get to 600. We barely get to 500 in most games. Now, I'm not a mathematician, but 14 goes into 600 how many times? A oh, lot. A lot. So that's a <laughs> lot of running <laughs> My goodness. And a shout-out to Jordan Wilcox. Underrated size-wise, he's 6'1", 225, 13 carries, 212 yards, three touchdowns. So shout-out to Jordan shout Wilcox. Shout-out to him. The senior. We're up to number 22 in the country. I'm just saying, get a win over MIT at the end of the year. That's all I'm saying. We get that. We're getting in. We got a bye week this week. Don't slip up in Maine Maritime, please. Y'all just, just 22nd in the country with that record in production? Only one, only two teams at 8-0 in the country, but, yeah, you know, whatever. doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. But no respect. We're the Rodney Dangerfield over here. Folks, this has been the FCS Opening Drive Podcast. Emery, thank you, as always, for your insight. We'll be back next week with a whole bunch more intrigue. Hopefully we'll have some less winless teams. And will we have more upsets like we saw this week? Again, all of your all of their knowledge comes from the man to my left at FBall Game Plan. Don't forget to follow the FCS kickoff and the opening drive on Twitter, iTunes, Football Game Plan, five star, and hit that subscription button while you're at it. And go to footballgameplan.com slash FCS kickoff for all of your college football needs all of your football needs, just in general, but especially for the FCS slash FCS kickoff. And don't forget to check out the FCS whip around for in-depth conference coverage of all 13 FCS conferences. This has been David Hashagan. Thank you so much. Enjoy your weekend.